Hello, and welcome to day 35 of A Year of War and Peace. My name's Logan. I'm Brett. And today we'll be talking about Volume 1, Part 2, Chapter 10. I nailed that one. Slay. I ate it up. We're getting it. We're getting it. You're going to get you're gonna back in the rhythm just as Part 2 ends. I know. How many chapters are in Part 2? I think like 18. I think it's a shorter one. <sighs> okay. Well, I got four more that I can absolutely <laughs> kill. Before before I get screwed up again, is it onto volume two after that, or is there part? No, three I think in there's this? three part. Three, there's three or four parts in volume one. Oh, brother! <laughs> Andre is sent away after giving his report, and he goes to his friend, a Russian diplomat, the ambassador to Austria. Bilibin, Bilibin, Bilibin. I love the most Bilibin. Hobbit ass name. <laughs> You can get in 1805 Russia. Truly, like there, no one else is. No one else is named like this. No, like you got Nikolai and Andre, Anatole, Boris, Maria Dmitrievna, Maria Dmitrievna, Pierre. It makes sense that Pierre's the French, like the French, the Frenchy, the Francophile. Yeah, and then you got Bilibin. 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 I wonder how Tolstoy came up with that name. I don't know. I wonder if it's just an uncommon name or if it's a nickname, maybe because it's just Bilibin that he's referred to. So maybe it's a, a, a their friends. So maybe it's a nickname he goes by. We're not. No one's naming naming kids like this anymore. <laughs> I'm bring back bring back their Hobbit names. Make make Bilibin the top name of 2024. Everyone listening to this podcast. Everyone run out Bilibin 2024. All the pregnant ladies listening to this podcast. Name your kid Billy Bin. Billy Billy Billy. Billy, Billy, Billy. But uh, Bilibin is the uh, ambassador to Austria. He's a diplomat. He's a Russian diplomat in Austria who represents their interests to the Austrian court. Basically, he seems like a very important man. He does, based on this chapter. Like he has a lot. He has a lot of influence in the Russian court or yeah. in the Austrian courts. It seems. Yeah. Well, it seems like he's very socially successful. Yeah. Because um, he has his his bon mots. His bon Bilibin's bon mots. Bilibin's bon mots, where he just comes up with clever little phrases, and then ha- everyone loves them so much that they paired him around. So, do you think that he just like lets them cook in his brain, and then only starts speaking when he has one ready? Oh, he like he like has a journal where he writes them down, <laughs> and he like memorizes them. Like, if someone says this, then I'll say this, and it'll be my clever little bon mot for the day. And everyone's like, "Wow, he's so smart." How does he? How does he come? He's just like so well spoken, and he's just saying these like really impactful things it's like in a in a movie when you can tell that the writer like was trying to be like really deep and impactful <laughs> with their words and the the character will just say something that just sort of just does not jive at all no. with how yeah, they yeah, speak yeah. that that is how his bon mots feel <laughs> <laughs> i love billy bean. Billy, bean. billy bean he's literally a hobbit like, you cannot convince me that this guy is not going to Middle Earth. But uh, Andre is staying at his house for the night because they're friends. And Andre comes and complains to Bilibin, tells him about his... Which, like, did Andre just show up at his door? Probably. <laughs> hey! Maybe he sent, like, a letter a day ahead or something. I guess. But... So stressful. Hosting someone, but you only have a day's notice. Yeah. I think, I mean, that seems to be very common. I feel like in a lot of classics, I see stuff like that where you just show up and they're just like, oh, hey, come on in, buddy. Hey, I mean, this guy's got clearly... He's very successful, so yeah, he's probably got he's got a pad. Yeah, oh, this is Berno. He's who got knows? a he's got a bachelor pad. Who knows where they lodged him in Berno? Berno. It seems like a, a decent place. Yeah, <laughs> Andre tells him about his battle, his war, and then he complains about how he was treated upon arrival. And Bilibin makes the case for the Austrians uh, and tries Surprising. to give him some. Which he says he's like 
he's like, finally to be in some Russian sympathetic company. Right. And then he's like complaining about his re- receiving and uh, Bilibin's like, well, actually, did you consider <laughs> the fact that their probably most favorite general is killed? Mm. And you're like, look at this minor battle we won. Yeah. Didn't we do such a good job, Austrians? <laughs> and they're like, sure. Like, what about Schmidt? What about Schmidt? I mean, we can belabor the point, but it's more and more of the division between the Russians and the Austrians, and even now to the extent of, like, they don't even seem to be united in purpose of winning the war. No. Because the Austrians, he says... The Austrians are waiting for the Russians to lose so that they stop and the war is over. Almost. Practically, yeah. And, um, well, he says that uh, you won a great uh, victory, but what does it mean for us in Austria? Mm -hmm. Like, the Russians... Okay, so the Russian army won a victory and killed one of our generals. Generals. Why do what is that? How is that good news for us? We our armies are still getting wiped and pushed back, and our generals are dying on the field. And, and even though it's like the fact that they won against purportedly their common enemy doesn't seem to have any yeah. sway in the in the Austrian court because it wasn't technically an Austrian victory. No, it's interesting. It wasn't an Austrian victory. I do think I think I do think it's funny when they're going they're going back and forth and Bilibin criticizes the victory, says that Mortier, the French general, escaped, and so it's not really much of a victory. And Andre says, at least we can claim without boasting that it's an improvement on Ulm. It's like, dude, anything is an improvement anything's on Ulm. Than that. Literally anything's better than that. <laughs> that is one of the worst possible things that could happen. <laughs> like getting 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 defeated and keeping your army in one piece is better than Ulm, man. Like that is not a very good standard to be like holding saying, yourself to. I was like saying at least it's better than 9-11. <laughs> like, of course. Of course it is. There aren't a lot of things worse, man. There aren't a lot of things like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Andre. He's so, he's so, so smart. (laughs) He's so dumb. That's the military, man. At least it's better than Ulm. (laughs) Of course. Girl, my worst days are better than Ulm. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, Andre. I've never had an Ulm. I can say without boasting that I have never had a day that compares to Ulm. (laughs) But yeah, so so Bilibin gives the Austrian perspective here and criticizes the victory wasn't decisive enough. They killed an Austrian general and it doesn't really do anything for the Austrians who are still getting beaten to crap and who uh, this is this is news to Andre. Vienna has now been occupied by the yes. French. Bye bye Vienna. Which I just don't know why that's that surprising since they abandoned it. I was going to say, you're literally going to Brno to meet with the emperor and you're not putting two and two together that you're not going to Vienna to yeah. meet with the emperor. I don't, I don't know. I guess they- maybe, maybe this though, maybe Brno was like where they were operating their military, mm. like always. Mm. And so it would make sense that they would be there anyways. Maybe. But then if Billy Ben, who is like this, like ambassador like yeah. why isn't he in vienna in the capital city well there's a there's a andre asks about how he says how has vienna been taken what about the uh famous fortifications in prince Auersburg? and so i guess that they left a they must have they probably fled when it was being threatened but mm. i guess they left troops behind that they expected to keep it hold it as a garrison and i suppose they didn't they didn't hold it very well so I guess Vienna had been abandoned by the government, but they didn't. the 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 French hadn't officially occupied and taken over the city and driven out the garrisoning troops yet. Hmm. 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 But really, probably seems a little sus to me. Shouldn't have been that surprising. Yeah. Once the government flees, once the emperor runs from the capital, I think that's usually bad news for the for the for capital. The capital. <laughs> 
but yeah, so they go back and forth on that. Andre gets some perspective. It's a, it's an it's an interesting moment where Andre seems to get an, start interacting with the politics of of war beyond just the desire to win, right? The military mm-hmm. need to win. The greater kind of schemes and machinations and desires yeah, of the seems, political he figures. He seems to also like really recognize Napoleon again. He calls him a genius again. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, that guy's a genius. Yeah. Yeah. But really, Ben, have you seen my wound? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's an interesting comparison between the soldiers and the politicians, where the soldiers are, Andre is, you know, in the army and is just kind of focused on how the war is going and winning the war and wanting to gain victories and whatever. And then there's the emperor and the politicians who have seen wars before, have been through wars yeah. before, and kind of... This is a stepping stone for them. They know that something is coming after the war, yeah. right? Andre's whole thing, his whole perspective ends at how do we win this campaign? Whereas the emperor and the Austrian politicians know that the war will end and that they're, it, what, matter, what matters to them is what happens during the war that affects them and their position internal, internally and internationally. So it seems like they have a... A, a, they have more a, of like a bird's eye view of yeah. the whole situation. Yeah, they're looking at it on a longer on a longer time frame and a more you know political, cynical, personal time yeah. frame than than Andre is. And then so he gets news of Vienna being occupied, and then at the end, um, Bilibin says that the Austrians are are practically ready to sue for peace, um, and that they the Austrian court seems to feel that the campaign is already lost mm-hmm. and that Napoleon has already won. They're waiting on Emperor Francis to meet with the King of Prussia which is just the north of there. And Prussia is neutral right now, so they're trying to convince Prussia to join the alliance and send mm-hmm. them more forces. And he says that if they don't, then, quote, Bilbin says, if Prussia doesn't join the war, all we have to do is agree on a place and where the articles of a new Campo Formio can be drawn up. And Campo Formio is the town that they met in when Napoleon won his first Italian campaign against the Austrians mm. and forced them to sue for peace and relinquish their lands in Italy and some of their territory in Germany, I think. So they're basically saying that, no, that it's, it it's repeating itself and that yeah. they're just going to have to surrender, take Napoleon's terms. And so it's a pretty, uh, pretty grim... Outlook, Outlook from the Austrian yeah. court. It seems they've the death of the the defeat of Mac and the death of Schmidt has taken Schmidt has uh, Schmidt really took him down. It's really taken its toll. And then uh, Andre goes to Andre goes to bed and he dreams about battle. Yeah, man, dream- as all men do. <laughs> <laughs> he dreams about he dreams about how the the bullets whistling all around him and enjoying the tenfold delight in living that and then living that he had not known since childhood. So. He's in his own, man. Dude, I think that we're just mad that he's experiencing childlike wonder and whimsy. I wish I wish I could be as excited about being shot at as Andre is. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. All right. Is it my it's my turn to give you a ranking? Yes. We'll do Andre, Bilibin, and the Minister of War. We'll bring him back. And we'll do Hmm. <laughs> Most likely to accidentally invite a vampire into their home. Uh, Think about the guests, having guests. Billabin. Yeah, Billabin's number one. He's so social. He's so social. Everyone's invited. I think the vampire would like feel bad and not even... He would charm the vampire (laughs) with one of his bon mots. Yeah, yeah. And the vampire would be like, I can't kill this guy. He's got so much to say. (laughs) He would turn him into his familiar. Uh, He'd be... um, He'd be a... He'd be a Renfield. Yes, he'd be, he'd be, he'd be Jacula's Renfield. Who's next? Oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ranking. What the <laughs> who's fuck? Ne- who's next? Who's next? <laughs> who's next? Who's next? Tell me. 
Then we have the war minister and Andre. Uh, I'd put Andre in second yeah. for no particular reason, just because he's an ordinary kind of dude. And then the war minister. He was bad at letting Andre in his Yeah, house. Andre like, hardly even got in. So uninvited, an uninvited vampire. Sorry, but you got to make an appointment. Yeah. And we're booked up for the next three months. So get, you're going to have to get on the wait list. It is an exclusive club here. With the <laughs> New York's w- hottest club is the war minister's waiting room. Berno's hottest club. Berno's hottest club. <laughs> So yeah, the war the war minister, it's like Dorzia. He's not getting in. He's not getting in. So Bilibin, Andre, the war minister. That's good. Very good. All right, that's chapter ten. Chapter ten. We will see you all tomorrow, as we always do. Here on the year of war.